Good morning, and welcome to the Hasbro third quarter 2020 earnings conference call. At this time, all parties will be in listen-only mode. A brief question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. Today's conference is being recorded. If you have any objections, you may disconnect at this time. At this time, I'd like to turn the call over to Ms. Debbie Hancock, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning, everyone. Joining me today are Brian Goldner, Hasbro's Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Deb Thomas, Hasbro's Chief Financial Officer. Today, we will begin with Brian and Deb providing commentary on the company's performance, then we will take your questions. Our earnings release and presentation slides for today's call are posted on our investor website. The press release and presentation include information regarding non-GAAP adjustments and non-GAAP financial measures. Our call today will discuss certain adjusted measures, which exclude these non-GAAP adjustments. A reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP measures is included in the press release and presentation. Please note that whenever we discuss earnings per share or EPS, we are referring to earnings per diluted share. Before we begin, I would like to remind you that during this call and the question and answer session that follows, members of Hasbro Management may make forward-looking statements concerning management's expectations, goals, objectives, and similar matters. There are many factors that could cause actual results or events to differ materially from the anticipated results or other expectations expressed in these forward-looking statements. These factors include those set forth in our annual report on Form 10-K, our most recent 10-Q, in today's press release, and in our other public disclosures. We undertake no obligation to update any forward-looking statements made today to reflect events or circumstances occurring after the date of this call. I would now like to introduce Brian Goldner. Brian? Thank you, Debbie. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. The global Hasbro team did an excellent job delivering a strong third quarter with revenues growth in toys, games, and digital initiatives while live-action production begins to return. Consumer demand remains strong. Global point-of-sale for Hasbro brands was up mid-single digits, including double-digit gains in the U.S., U.K., and Australia, among others. Overall, point-of-sale grew despite declines in Latin America and Asia, and some out-of-stocks in the games category. Nearly all stores globally have been open and operating, with Latin America experiencing the most restrictions. Foot traffic in stores remains meaningful lower, but e-com continues to deliver, with 50% growth globally in the quarter. We also benefited from the reopening of toy specialty retailers in Europe. Production at our third-party factories is up and running, and supply is largely in line with demand. Where demand remains above trend, we are working to catch up. The restarting of live-action entertainment is gradually occurring, with some of our larger productions beginning late in the third quarter. As a result, deliveries were low but are set to improve in the fourth quarter, and some revenue will move into 2021. Magic the Gathering delivered strong third-quarter results, and revenue was up double digits for the first nine months of the year. The release of Double Masters and Zendikar Rising drove the year-over-year gains in the quarter, including growth in analog and digital play. Magic the Gathering is providing its players connection entertainment despite not all being able to gather to play. That connection and entertainment continues to drive gaming demand broadly. Revenues grew for our gaming portfolio, and the overall gaming category, including Magic and Monopoly, was up 21%. Point-of-sale gains were limited by product availability as we worked to catch up on production. Hasbro has an unparalleled position in gaming. We have the broadest portfolio with the industry's best-known brands, reaching all demographics across multiple genres. Importantly, we have invested to bring new games to the market over every period and every year. Our core games remained our best sellers, including Monopoly, Jenga, Connect Four, Life and Operation, and we have new games to bring home the fun this holiday. This includes a new game for the whole family in Deer Pong, and new games like The Child Inspired Monopoly, and Super Mario Celebration Monopoly, among many others. 
to further long-term growth. We are investing to drive digital gaming experiences for Wizards of the Coast brand. Magic the Gathering Arena will launch on mobile in early 2021 as we fine-tune the game this year. We also have Spell Slingers, an all-new digital game for the mobile first generation, slated for next year. And Tencent continues to lead the efforts to publish in China. Dungeons & Dragons continued to benefit from a strong release schedule and the quest for at-home entertainment. Revenues for the brand were up more than 20% in the quarter and year-to-date. D&D Digital is also ramping. Baldur's Gate 3 has released into early access on Steam to a strong reception and will be more broadly available next year. Also in 2021, Dark Alliance from our own two games is planned for release. D&D and Magic the Gathering were among the brands on virtual display at our first ever PulseCon. PulseCon delivered to fans one-of-a-kind access to their favorite franchises, as well as interactive experiences with creative talent. It generated close to a billion social and media impressions. We unveiled new products across multiple franchises, hosted two days of panels, and successfully fully funded two HasLab campaigns. One for the Star Wars Vintage Collection, Razor Crest, and one for the Hero Quest game system. If you missed it live, you can find it this session online. While the revenue for our HasLab projects will be recognized in future periods when we build and deliver the products, Hasbro products for Star Wars delivered strong growth in the third quarter. Disney Plus continued to drive engagement among kids and fans alike. Results were fueled by August shelf sets of our wide range of items for the child, as well as continued global strength in our fan business, particularly with our 40th anniversary Empire Strikes Back product and our retro figures. This year, we also launched the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge exclusive program designed to capture the parks experience at retail. Last year, on October 4th, we executed on-shelf events for Star Wars in support of streaming and theatrical content, and for Frozen 2. We are up against those comps in 2020, but with new products and new streaming content for both properties, we have a great lineup for the holiday. As this year developed and entertainment plans shifted, our teams did a tremendous job of rebalancing our initiatives for the year reprioritizing factories, shifting marketing plans, and partnering with our retailers around the world. They leveraged our portfolio's innovation for the holiday and ensured we have strong representation across demographics. These efforts include items like Baby Alive, Baby Grows Up, For Real Friends, Mama Josie the Kangaroo, Nerf Elite 2.0, the Play-Doh Candy Delight Playset, and many more. The fourth quarter is unfolding in multiple stages, kicking off successfully earlier this month with Prime Day and major initiatives from our largest omni-channel retail partners. Hasbro lines sold very well during this period. Our teams are working in concert with our retailers to drive and fulfill demand this holiday season. They are doing an excellent job managing this dynamic environment, driving the business forward for this year and beyond. Importantly, they have positioned us for what we believe should be a good holiday season for Hasbro. In entertainment, the last few quarters have been difficult given the inability to get on set and produce much of the live action content we planned for the year. However, the integration is progressing well and we've been able to make more progress than planned in the development of future projects. We recently announced that producer and director Jonathan Entwistle has come on board to shepherd new film and television adaptations of Power Rangers. E1 will develop and produce the projects with Entwistle set to direct. We also launched a competitive cooking show based on Candyland, hosted by Christian Chenoweth. You can see that series beginning November 15th on the Food Network. Looking ahead, some revenue originally planned for 2020 will shift into 2021 both from E1 projects and from theatrical releases, which were originally slated for this year. During 2020, we continued to advance in e-com and focus the teams on our highest priorities for the near term and for long-term growth. 
COVID-19 remains a reality in our markets around the world, and we're working closely monitoring developments to ensure we can execute while keeping the safety of our employees and communities a top priority. I'll now turn the call over to Deb. Deb? Thank you, Brian, and good morning, everyone. Our teams delivered a very good third quarter in a difficult environment. The results reflected growing consumer demand for Hasbro brands, an improved operating environment as third-party factories, warehouses, and retail stores were mostly open, and excellent execution by our teams, including strong cash collections and cost management. My discussion today will be versus pro forma adjusted 2019 earnings. The third quarter 2020 adjusted results exclude after-tax amounts of $19.6 million of purchased intangible amortization and $4.7 million of acquisition and related expenses associated with the E1 acquisition and $13.7 million of incremental tax expense related to a change in the UK tax code. We ended the quarter with one of our highest ever third quarter cash balances and delivered an additional 230 basis points on adjusted operating profit margin for the quarter from both favorable product mix and cost savings. We continued to have $1.5 billion available under our revolving credit facility, should we need it, and we remain well within our financial covenants. The team drove strong cash collections and Q3 DSO decreased to 74 days from 83 days last year and 96 days in the second quarter. As live action production has been limited, our cash spend on content this year is now targeted to be at the lower end of our prior $450 to $550 million range for the full year. Due to the timing of this return to production, certain deliveries expected in the fourth quarter 2020 will move to 2021, shifting expected revenue. We currently expect next year to have a more normalized cash spend level as production and deliveries are slated to improve from the lower 2020 levels. Our capital expenditures year-to-date are in line with 2019 and are now expected to be slightly below the 145 to 155 million we targeted for this year. This amount includes the capitalization of digital gaming development relating to games to be launched in future years, some of which Brian spoke to, as well as several others for 2022 and beyond. Hasbro-owned inventory is down 7% absent FX as demand remains strong. Retail inventory declined, led by the U.S., reflecting the shift to e-com and higher consumer takeaway. In Latin America, we continue to work through inventory we began the year with. Our goal is to reduce excess inventory by year-end to position us to stabilize the region's performance next year. Our integration with E1 remains on track, and we continue to target synergies of $130 million by year-end 2022. This includes 2020 cost savings of at least $20 million before one-time expenses, recognizing the E1 business, like the overall Hasbro business, is not operating to our original plan due to COVID-19. Synergies are planned to increase in 2021 as we begin to insource toys and games for E1 properties and recognize more of the benefit of cost savings. For the quarter, Revenues were down 4%, reflecting growth in toys, games, and digital initiatives, offset by a decline in entertainment. In the U.S. and Canada segment, revenues grew 9% behind growth in franchise brands led by Magic the Gathering, emerging brands, and Hasbro Gaming. Gaming supply was catching up to demand during the quarter. Partner brands declined behind good growth in Star Wars, but a decline in Marvel and Frozen revenues. Point of sale for the segment grew double digits, and retail inventory declined double digits. Ecom revenues grew more than 50%. Segment operating profit grew, and operating profit margin expanded 530 basis points. 
This gain was the result of revenue growth, favorable product mix, including growth in Magic the Gathering, and inventory cost management. International segment revenues were down 7%, excluding the impact of foreign currency. European revenues grew 4%, excluding FX, but both Latin America and Asia-Pacific revenues declined. Hasbro gaming revenues were flat absent FX, and the other brand portfolio categories declined. Ecom revenues grew approximately 40%. Segment operating profit was down due to lower revenues, but operating profit margin improved 40 basis points on favorable mix, including growth in Magic the Gathering, lower advertising spend, and cost management initiatives. In the entertainment licensing and digital segment, revenues declined due to lower film revenue versus last year, when we first recorded Bumblebee, offset in part by higher digital gaming revenues. For consumer products, revenue and profit held up well in the quarter. As we look ahead, the fourth quarter in part reflects licensee sales from the third quarter. It's a bigger quarter for the category, and retailers are being very cautious with inventory management given store closures and lower sales in licensed categories. This also had an impact on family brands in the E1 segment. Despite the decline in net revenues, operating profit and operating profit margin increased due to increased revenue from high-profit digital licensing and decreased advertising costs versus the 2019 initial launch of Magic the Gathering Arena. For E1, the segment's performance was hampered by the timing of live-action production restarts in the TV and film business and lower digital content advertising revenues. The segment reported a small adjusted operating loss due to these lower revenues. For Hasbro overall, gross margin increased 180 basis points, including both cost of sales and program cost amortization, driven by favorable product mix and inventory cost management. Program amortization is expected to be more in line with last year's levels as a percentage of revenue for the fourth quarter. Advertising declined to 7.7% of revenues on lower spend at E1 due to the lack of theatrical releases, as well as lower advertising within the commercial business. Given the expected shift of digital gaming launches from Q4 to Q1 2021, advertising is expected to be at similar levels as a percentage of revenue in Q4. While FT&A declined in dollars, it was up as a percentage of revenues. Cost savings are having a favorable impact, but freight expense was up on the higher domestic U.S. and European orders, as well as the alignment of accounting for certain E1 expenses in the current year versus last. We expect fourth quarter to be more in line with last year's level as a percent of revenues. The underlying tax rate for the quarter was 19.8% compared to 18.2% last year. The rate is driven by the change in geographic mix of income and the impact of the E1 acquisition. As I mentioned to start, during the quarter, we recorded incremental tax expense, which increased our effective rate to 26.5%. This expense was related to the UK Finance Act of 2020 enacted during the quarter that maintained the UK corporate income tax at 19% instead of the previously enacted reduction to 17%. This resulted in the remeasurement of our UK net deferred tax liability, driving the rate higher. In closing, the team has continued to do an outstanding job, and I could not be prouder of them. We are set up for a good holiday season, leveraging our broad portfolio including strength in games, customer relationships, and e-com expertise, backed by strong execution of the team. We are watching the development of COVID-19 infections in various markets around the world, but so far, retail has remained accessible to customers, including through e-commerce. 
We're leveraging our global manufacturing partners to have supply to meet demand, and E1 is back in production with more deliveries anticipated in the fourth quarter and some shifting into 2021. We feel good about next year and our opportunity to execute successfully with innovative products, robust entertainment, and strong execution from our global teams. We have invested to ensure Hasbro is best positioned to drive profitable revenue growth around our blueprint. As we look to the next stage of our company, we've pivoted to create not only more entertainment based on our brands, but more profitable entertainment. We have over 30 Hasbro properties in development with E1 across various platforms, which drive high margin revenue streams in entertainment, consumer products, and digital gaming. Combined with revenue growth from our core toy and game business and the pipeline of digital games in development, we are set up well for delivering improved profits and cash flow for the long term. I'll now turn back to Brian for some closing remarks before we take your questions. Brian? Thank you, Deb. I want to take a minute and recognize John Proscotti. Earlier this month, we announced that John has decided to retire after 13 years with Hasbro when his existing contract ends in March of 2021. John has been an important part of our senior management team since 2008 and a loyal colleague, mentor, and friend to so many of us over the years. In addition to the leadership roles he has held, John has always been a champion for our culture, our purpose, and our values. He embodies the idea of servant leadership, and his impact on our company will be felt long after he departs. John leaves big shoes to fill, but I'm extremely confident in the leadership of our company and the strength of our teams to lead Hasbro into the future. Deb and I are now happy to take your questions. Thank you. At this time, we'll be conducting the question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad, and a confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you'd like to remove your question from the queue. Due to the number of analysts joining us on the call today, we ask everyone to ask one primary question and one follow-up question to accommodate as many participants as possible. For those participants that are using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Thank you. And our first question is coming from the line of Steph Wissink with Jeffries. Please proceed with your questions. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. And Brian, I would echo your comments on John. John, we're going to miss you. Uh, my question is really about the Hasbro properties in development with E1. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about just how broad-based, what different form factors that might take. And I think, Deb, your comments on more profitable growth is really intriguing. So if you could just talk really quickly about what you're most excited about in that pipeline, that would be great. Thank you. Sure. Good morning, Steph. Uh, first, uh, we saw some announcements over the last uh, week or so. Jonathan Entwistle has come on board. He'll be uh, handling the development of both uh, live-action television around Power Rangers, in addition to the kids-oriented TV show that's in its 27th season. Uh, We'll also be working on a live-action film. Uh, The team is busy working on uh, Dungeons & Dragons live-action feature film. Uh, They're also working on a couple of different approaches because there is so much mythology and canon to Dungeons & Dragons for live-action television, and there's been very strong interest. We've talked about how many global streamers and other terrestrial broadcasters have been very interested in Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, For next year, uh, we will have a My Little Pony theatrical feature film. It'll be the first CGI film that the team is producing. Uh, It looks beautiful, and we're very excited about next fall. It'll, It'll come to theaters in September next year. And then as we go across the different IPs, uh, what we're seeing is incredible interest in unscripted shows as we develop more game show type formats and uh, other fun formats like we've seen coming onto the Food Network this fall, which is a Candyland TV show hosted by Christian Chenoweth. We've also seen very strong demand and desire for IP around the uh, Hasbro brands and scripted television. 
let me remind you that just this past summer, we uh, had a scripted animated show called War for Cybertron for Transformers. It was only six episodes, and yet that show posted uh, top performance across the entire Netflix platform uh, during June and uh, July and August and, in fact, drove considerable growth in uh, Transformers brand. So we're seeing the connection between creating great IP and the response that we're getting from fans and families. In fact, uh, Transformers POS has been quite strong, um, and Transformers was uh, up in the United States as a result as we now take that out around the world. You know, we expect to continue to see how the teams are able to drive our brands off of that great IP spend just as we've seen uh, great streaming content work for Disney Plus and The Mandalorian. So there's many, many new initiatives that are coming. And as we've said, we've got more than 30 brands and uh, more than 40 projects stood up because some brands will get the benefit of both uh, film and television treatments. Um, and we're very excited. They've made, the teams have made more progress than we could have ever imagined. I guess it's the silver lining in our playbook for 2020 as we all work through this uh, COVID environment and we're all on screens together. Deb? And I would add to that, too, Steph, um, that, you know, we've been continuing with our integration activities. We're on track to deliver the $20 million in cost savings we talked about this year. And next year, with our, um, we expect to have more in cost savings. So when you think about creating this wonderful entertainment around our brands, being able to leverage the blueprint, achieving the cost savings that we've talked about, and we're well on track for hitting our $130 million in synergies uh, by t- the end of 2022, you know, that's going to lead to great, greater profit for our company. And based on these investments, along with digital gaming, we really see the benefit of the acquisition uh, over the long term. 2020 has been an interesting year for all of us, but, you know, we continue to think the future looks very bright for our company. Deb, if I could, just to close the loop, I think you mentioned program amortization in the fourth quarter would be flat on a pro forma to the prior year. Can you just give us a base number just to square up that for our model? Absolutely. Then the pro forma number last year was 7.1%. So we're looking at a number similar to that for the fourth quarter around that level. The next question comes from the line of Eric Handler with MKM Partners. Please receive your question. Yes, uh, thank you very much. Um, Deb, since E1 is a bit of a black box in terms of modeling, um, just wondered if you could maybe give us uh, a sense of if TV film entertainment was like $166 million in the third quarter, um, do you expect deliveries to um, result in that number being higher uh, in the fourth quarter, about the same? I think last year on a, on a pro forma fourth quarter number, it was $179 million. Just sort of give us some directional color on how to think about that for modeling purposes. I think last year in the fourth quarter, um, you know, looking at with translation and, and, and everything else, overall the E1 segment was around $230 million in the quarter if you think about overall. Um, however, if you think about this fourth quarter, you know, we're really excited. We believe that we could grow revenues and adjusted EPS from our pro forma Q4 results of 2019 overall as a company, because while E1 and the live action production is returning, we've been in production on animated overall, planning for better deliveries. Some of those will move into the first quarter just because, um, you know, as Brian mentioned earlier, we started our biggest live action production um, late in the third quarter. So you kind of think about finishing it and delivering it. Some of that's going to shift when we start getting through all of those episodes. But overall, our brands and our business, uh, including the Hasbro business, is performing very well. The only thing I would remind people of is our comps from last year. We had a big quarter for Frozen. Um, our frozen business was the highest fourth quarter, had the highest fourth quarter sales ever across the G5 for the brand um, in all the categories that we have right, according to NPD. So 
Um, while Star Wars is performing well, we, had, we do have that big comp on Frozen. But we do believe we could grow revenues and adjust to EPS from Q4 of a year ago. Okay. And then just as a follow-up, your retail inventories were down uh, in the third quarter, or, or your owned inventories were down on, on the third quarter on a year-over-year basis. How much of that is due to, because you have tough comps with last year with Star Wars and Frozen, how much is just you know, getting back up to speed? Yeah, if you look at the Star Wars business in the third quarter, it was up considerably. In fact, Star Wars is performing at a very high level. So um, we had the inventory on Star Wars, and the brand was up high double digits for the quarter. It's up uh, high double digits uh, year to date. Um, It's really been about very strong demand across uh, the portfolio for our products. Uh, we talked a bit about the fact that games uh, back in, as we reported, second quarter had been at low fill rates. Those fill rates began to notch upwards throughout the quarter, so from July, end of July to August, August to September. And uh, exiting uh, the third quarter, as we look at October, the month of October POS, we're seeing our POS for the month of October on games up 17.9% so far and our toys up 16.4% so far. So we did have, um, if you recall, for the year-to-date sell-through on games, you know, online game sales were up uh, 70% year-to-date, and in the U.S. business was up 39%, and in in, uh, global international uh, or globally, um, games were up 29%. So we had sold a lot of games, and we needed to catch up, and uh, we're we're seeing that now as we head into fourth quarter. So, yes, retailer inventories are down, uh, down in several different areas in the U.S., down in Mexico, as Deb mentioned, managing that business so that we can stabilize and grow again for 2021, and uh, uh, down in a couple other territories, up slightly in Europe because the European business is performing very well, was up 7% in a quarter with growth from franchise brands, gaming, and partner brands uh, in the quarter. Um, so, again, uh, this is um, the cadence that we're executing this year as a result of high demand and then trying to catch up in certain categories. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Felicia Hendricks with Barclays. Please proceed with your questions. Hi. Thank you so much. Um, and that's a, your answer um, is a great segue to my question. Um, so you had talked about just, Kind of catching up on the on the game side, and wondering if we could just move to the um, franchise side, and maybe you could just dissect that a little bit in terms of what's in there and how that did. You know, Nerf, Baby Alive, um, Play-Doh, and also, um, I guess on the family brands, Deb, you mentioned that the retailers are being cautious with inventory, and it affected this line. So I was wondering if you could elaborate there. Thanks. Sure. So if you look at uh, franchise brands growth. Globally, uh, was up 4%. I think it's most interesting as we get some of the new products into the market um, that franchise brands in the United States and Canada and North America were up 20%. And we saw growth in five of our franchise brands with NERF just about flat to a year ago in revenues. Um, and uh, My Little Pony was down, and we, we talked we have a, a big movie approach for next year. Uh, if you look at NERF POS, it grew globally uh, by nearly 4%. It was up more than 7% in North America. You know, again, we talked about how coming out of India, as we've uh, expanded our strategic sourcing footprint, that that was benefiting us. But it also uh, led to some delays on some new products. But we have seen really good takeaway. We have uh, three new segments uh, for Q4 on NERF, the Elite 2.0, which is that core new a blaster. It's off to a very strong start. Our ultra product is doing quite well. That's the one that flies 120 feet, and we're up to ultra five, so five new blasters there. And then we have a new mega blaster um, and uh, a holiday item for ultra called the Pharaoh, which is going to sell for about $50 US. Um, and uh, we, we feel really good about all that. And then you add to that new Fortnite blasters, which are, again, performing quite well, and a really break-frame social marketing campaign called Nerf House. It's uh, got a great lineup of, uh, of celebrities and athletes. 
So uh, that brand is uh, performing well, and I think we're at an inflection point now as we catch up on production um, and uh, we respond to just the strong demand that's out there. We talked about Play-Doh being up for the quarter, and uh, you know POS was up. Uh, we have a lot of new compounds loss, uh, launching. We talked a bit about Transformers, um, which was uh, a brand that was up in North America. POS is up double digits. Um, and, uh, again, really responding to the content um, on Netflix uh, as well as um, the content uh, that we have for kids and for preschoolers and Cybertron and for uh, Rescue Bots Academy. The only other brand I'd cite, you know, again, with challenges in supply, uh, our shipments are down a bit on Power Rangers, but our POS on Power Rangers for Q3 was up uh, high double digits, 77%. Year-to-date, that POS is up by more than 100%. So the, you know, again, the new episodes. We're very excited about the new creative stewardship that's coming there. We're performing incredibly well. We have 900 episodes available on Netflix, and new products coming from the holidays. And Steph, uh, uh, you may have mentioned um, another brand. Um, I'm not sure which one. Oh yeah, I was talking, and the the family brands um, would, you know, Deb mentioned that retailers are being cautious with inventory, um, which affected that line. So I just wanted some more color there. Oh no, yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yes, thanks, Felicia. I, I, you know, it's interesting because if you look at our largest customers, they remain Walmart, Target, and Amazon, right? And all three of them have remained largely open and operating for toys and games and. In fact, you know, it's really a low single-digit percent of our stores, retailers are closed globally right now. But when you look at consumer products, licensing, and family and brands is in that category, has a lot in that category. For consumer products, the revenue and profit held up well in the quarter. But when you think about the fourth quarter, it's going to reflect part of the sales from the third quarter. It's a bigger quarter for the category year-on-year when you look at comps. Those retailers are being very cautious with inventory management, given that there are still store closures and that there are lower sales in licensed categories. So when you think about things like, um, you know, apparel, back to school, kind of was an interesting back to school year this year, right? This, uh, this is having an impact. So that's why we say we're still watching the fourth quarter. We think it will have an impact on that segment, which impacts family and brands a bit as well. But overall, the health of the whole segment is good. It's just going to have some impact in the fourth quarter from those continued store closures and retailer cautiousness with inventory in those categories. Okay, that's helpful. And then just as my follow-up, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you guys are kind of chasing demand in the fourth quarter like others are in the industry. Um, you know, as we kind of assess the puts and takes there, where where would your biggest risk be? Well, you know, uh, satisfying we, that demand. Yeah, so, you know, what we'd said uh, back at the end of Q2 as we spoke together at the end of July, we'd said that our fill rates were low, that we intended to catch up by the end of third quarter. Uh, we've made a lot of progress in catching up. We're still behind on the games category, just given the, the substantial demand that we're seeing there. But we've talked about, you know, successfully launching Nerf and, and um, several other brand initiatives fourth quarter, we've got partner brands, um, and uh, Star Wars is having a, had a great uh, Q3 uh, princess business. Disney princess business was up in Q3. Year-to-date Frozen business was up. Beyblades held up quite well. So our toy business now, uh, for the month of October, has come through some of the big omni-channel events and the early launches for the holiday through the prime days. Toys are up more than 16% to 16.4%, and games are up nearly 18%. So that catch-up that we talked about through the third quarter in, in uh, supply is starting to have good uh, impact on demand. And the only thing Great. I would just say is, you know, we continue to watch that the consumer products category just because some of those licensed categories just aren't as strong at retail right now. Understood. And, um, John? Bittersweet goodbye. Uh, thank you for all your help over the years, and uh, we'll miss you. Thanks, Alicia. Our next question comes from the line of RPNA Kocharin with UBS. Please proceed with your questions. 
Thank you so much. Um, John, it has been great working with you. You'll def- we'll definitely miss you. Best of luck with everything. Um, it seems like retail has held up strongly into October. I'm mostly trying to understand whether it is in line with what you have planned for in your production plans earlier this year and whether there are any production limitation-related uh, caps as we look, in, look into Q4. Well, you know, we're sitting here today um, with the benefit of being uh, about a third of the way through the fourth quarter at the end of October. And so we, we expect the holiday season to be a good one. We've talked about the fact that we have a lot of new products launching, and Deb talked about the fact that we could grow this year on a pro-form basis versus 2019. Um, and there are, you know, a little more than 60 days left. And, uh, we again, we feel very good about this holiday season. Uh, it's great to see the level of consumer takeaway. It's also great for our research to understand how many new fans and families are coming into the category, which really bodes well for 2021 as we continue to execute with innovation and IP and games. Uh, and remember, we also had a great benefit that uh, Magic the Gathering, as we described, uh, would uh, have more releases. Those releases were very well, well received by players uh, in Q3, and we have a continuation of some really good re- releases into Q4. But we feel good about where we are right now. Um, again, uh, there's uh, enough room left in the calendar year to have a good holiday season um, and to turn the page and move on to a great 2021. Our next question is from the line of David Beckel with Berenberg Capital Markets. Please receive their questions. Hey, thanks so much. Um, <clears throat> my primary question relates to uh, YouTube, which you called out again this quarter as a as a minor headwind on the advertising side just curious if you can expand a little bit on that um is it a function of lower ad rates ad loads <clears throat> or lower engagement sort of relatedly if you don't mind expanding just generally on digital engagement trends that you're seeing across your portfolio brands that would be really helpful and then I have a quick follow-up yeah sure the digital engagement the viewership of our brands has been outstanding um Peppa continues to be uh, the most viewed brand in those formats around the world. Uh, we're also seeing as the team's taking on more of our brands with My Little Pony, um, improving viewership as the team has managed that uh, quite well, and they'll add other brands from Hasbro's portfolio to their over- oversight and the way they manage the algorithms and uh, deliveries of, uh, of social content and YouTube content. So it's been quite good. Uh, engagement for PJ Mask is quite strong. Additional productions for PJ Mask and Peppa are good. It's all about the change to the algorithm that YouTube made to be more restricted to advertisers, which just limits some of the advertising revenues that we claim as, uh, as the way we manage that business. And the team had always done a very good job, much better uh, than Hasbro at E1, in managing that and gaining those revenues and being able to uh, drive revenue growth. We think it will get healthier uh, over time, but right now, of course, we're just uh, responding to the changes in the rules making about the way advertisers can advertise uh, in kids' content. Deb, I don't think you want to add. I was going to say it was uh, there were some other changes that were made last year that just impacted it for the quarter. It was a bigger impact for the quarter then um, as Brian said, the algorithms have changed and we're seeing that this year, but it was just a particularly uh, bigger impact in the quarter. So we wanted to call it out. Got it, helpful, thanks. And just as a quick follow-up, uh, I don't think you mentioned it specifically, but I'm curious if you can kind of frame for us um, how much of an effect the inability to meet demand because of supply chain constraints affected POS in the quarter. Well, look, I think that if you, look at, if you look at the POS number, I think the biggest impact, if you look at global POS being up mid-single digits, was the fact that Latin America was down substantially as we get that business healthy and uh, get it on track for 2021. Uh, also, hoping that COVID's uh, major impact it's having there begins to dissipate. So we've gotten retail inventories in line with um, retail inventory in Mexico, for example, being down nearly 20%. Um, and that 
has an impact. If you look um, across the regions, North America had double-digit POS gains in the quarter, um, and uh, Asia-Pacific had double-digit POS gains in the quarter. Europe had mid-single-digit POS gains. So it's just the average that comes out to mid-single digits uh, POS gains because of the Latin American decline as we work through the issues uh, related to the substantial COVID impact, restrictions on stores, the lack of uh, as robust uh, e-com business. Um, but I'd say overall, as we are now entering the October period with more supply, to see high teens POS growth for both games and toys is uh, uh, has us well positioned for the holiday. Great. Thanks so much. The next question is from the line of Tammy Zakaria with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with your questions. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my question. Um, so could you comment on your plans around digital gaming launches next year? Uh, any comments on the format of those, meaning would those be mobile or PC, free-to-play? Any details you can share? Sure. Um, so if you look at, uh, you know, Magic the Gathering for the quarter, it, it performed quite well. And as you know, our storytelling around Magic the Gathering is uh, synchronized between what we do in the analog business and in digital. And uh, Magic Arena performed quite well, and it was up in the quarter. As we go forward, Magic Arena um, now having over 2.8 billion games played, which is up uh, quite quite a lot since Q2, um, still shows that uh, people are playing on average uh, nine hours a week. Uh, we'll move Magic Arena to mobile in early 2021, which is, of course, the most popular format for gaming. Um, that ubiquity and uh, number of players should really benefit the brand. Uh, continuing to work with Tencent to publish Magic Arena for China. Uh, we also have um, Spell Slingers coming, which is a casual mobile game for Magic the Gathering, which will come following the move to mobile. On Dungeons & Dragons, um, right now you can play um, in early access on Steam. I was actually playing it. It's quite a, a great game called Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, for those fans, it's off to a very strong start. Uh, that's available now in early access, and it will launch uh, fully uh, in 2021. We then have Dark Alliance from Two Games that comes uh, in in uh, 2021 as well, and the team is making great progress there. We've seen some of the uh, early uh, work, and uh, that's very exciting as well. And then there's a, a raft of games that talks about the uh, R&D work that's going on a raft of games that will come in the future for um, years 22, 23, 24. It's all in development uh, as we speak, and it will line up with the uh, initiatives of those brands as well as with our um, entertainment efforts that we're now developing, fully developing. Got it. That's, that's really helpful. And then another quick one from me. The quarter-to-date sure. POS trends you mentioned in October – uh, is that including Amazon Prime and some of the deal dates from other retailers, or are those POS numbers normalized for those events? Uh, we just took the we took the uh, effectively the month the first month October. So yes, those uh, impacts are in there, but those were over specific days. Um, if you look at the the progress we've made even over the last week following Prime, the, the numbers are quite strong. So. I don't want to get down to kind of week-by-week week POS, but just to suffice it to say, for the month, uh, those are really good numbers. Um, the peaks during the prime days were even higher, uh, but overall we're seeing day-for-day uh, day really good growth around our brand. We're back in stock on new initiatives like Nerf, uh, Play-Doh, uh, as our games in stocks have improved. And we're very excited as we come up in the next week, we'll have a big launch around the Mandalorian, a new season that's coming. We have uh, more than 20 items available for the child product, and we've developed more than 75 products around Star Wars. Star Wars is performing at a very high level this year. We expect a good holiday season, which should enable us to have good performance from our partner brand category, recognizing what Deb said earlier which is we have very uh, strong comps from a year ago, 
but it, it at least positions us well in partner brands um, and allows our business to continue to move forward. Got it. Very helpful, as always. Thank you so much. And, and to John, uh, you will be missed dearly. Best of luck to you, and thanks for all the help. Our next question is from the line of Drew Crum with Stiefel. Please receive with your question. Okay, thanks. Hey, guys, good morning. Um, Brian, good morning. I wonder if you could uh, comment on your expectations for Magic the Gathering in 4Q. Um, you gave us some good ta good detail entering 3Q and your expectations there. Um, and then I have a follow-up. Sure. So, you know, I'll give you a kind of a, pro a little bit of a progress. On Q4, you'll see at least three really robust launches coming up. Um, we have a, a Zendikar Rising product that will be specifically around uh, fans and gifting. We have a Commander Legends product that will launch in November, and Secret Lair will continue uh, into November as well. What's interesting is that uh, you know we made a, a number of launches in Q3 that are continuing to have an impact into Q4 as well. Uh, more offerings that were very well released and uh, very well received by the players. Double Master set was released in Q3, the core set 2021 was our best core set of all times because it contains these must-have cards for tournament play. Uh, it also welcomed a lot of new players into Magic uh, for more at-home play, and many new and enfranchised players really like that uh, offering. We also had added this Jumpstart booster and Collector boosters. They'll continue to roll out uh, in the fourth quarter because we had some production challenges. We had talked about that before. And uh, we're going to roll that out into the EU in Q4. Jumpstart, for those of you interested, allows the players to immediately get into the game with these ready-to-play 60-card decks. And um, the Commander Legends combines two of Magic's most popular formats of Commander and Draft. So I think you've got a lot of analog play coming into Q4. We talked about how, of course, entertainment always leads engagement. And... Um, uh, we were well positioned to finish the year out uh, strongly for Magic. Got it. Okay, very helpful. And then, Deb, uh, $369 million of long-term debt classified as a current liability on the balance sheet. Can you talk about what the company's plans would be to address that upcoming maturity? Uh, would you pay it down or, or look to refinance? Thanks. Sure. Well, within our debt, as you know, about this year, um, we've only got, we're only committed to pay $22-23 million um, under our term loans, and, and we're on track for that. And, you know, depending on how liquidity in our cash position goes, we may address some of that, that debt um, earlier, or um, we may wait till May of next year. It's predominantly due in the May timeframe. Right now, our plans would be to pay that debt down. Mm -hmm. So those are our current plans. Okay. Our next question comes from the line of Mike Ng with Goldman Sachs. Please receive your questions. Great. Thank you very much for the question. Um, it was encouraging to hear about the revenue and EPS growth for the fourth quarter. Um, given the, the content delivery shifts for E1, I was just wondering if you could talk about how that might affect uh, gross margins for the fourth quarter and just uh, about your expectations for gross margins more broadly. Thank you. Well, overall for E1, you know, we said deliveries, they're on track. We have, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, items and, and productions in the pipeline right now, right? So we said some of those could shift into, uh, into Q1 as we look at them overall. But, you know, the COVID, I would just add, you know, COVID protocols are increasing costs on some of our productions. So they're increasing them at different rates and different productions. So when we think about margins, that's going to be something we need to look at over the long term to see how that plays out. Now we see some of those costs are actually reducing since we've been back in production. But I think that's something we'll be looking at over the long term. So when you think it over about overall margins, um, you have to kind of, kind of factor in that a bit. But we did say that our expectation is just based on product mix um, that, you know, we had good product mix. The more of some of our gaming brands we sell in the quarter, the more brands like Magic the Gathering 
we sell in the quarter, that improves our cost of sales from a product mix standpoint. And um, our program production, we said we thought would be around the same levels as a year ago as a percent of revenue, which was about in the fourth quarter, 7%. So we'll have to see over time how our margins get impacted by those additional COVID costs. But, you know, right now we expect those program production costs to be about the same level for Q4 as they were a year ago. Great. Thank you. And just as a follow-up to E1 more broadly, um, you know, E1's obviously been impacted by a lot of exogenous factors because of, you know, live TV production, theater closures. Um, I was just wondering, do you see E1 revenues getting back to those, those 2019 pro forma revenues um, at some point in the near future when, when things get back to normal or, um, you know, is there just something structural in this, uh, you know, new environment that prevents us from getting back there? Thanks. Yeah. No, Mike, uh, the short answer is we do expect the D1 revenues can grow and grow back to being more the way they were uh, in the recent past. Recognize a couple things that are be there will be very beneficial to the company. Increasingly, those revenues will have more Hasbro IP attached. More of our production capital spend will be around Hasbro IP over time. We'll continue that mix shift into more Hasbro IP, which has that knock-on benefit that Deb described in her prepared remarks, where uh, it, it enables us to get more consumer products licensing. Uh, it enables us to drive more of our high-margin uh, uh, toy and game business. It enables us to provide profitable entertainment versus looking at entertainment as a more of a marketing expense. And then it will also support the Wizards of the Coast brands that have such deep canon and mythology and the opportunity to take that to families and fans uh, is really substantial. So uh, we do believe that, you know, we've got to get through uh, the phases of COVID. We have to uh, apply the protocols to our productions, and we're doing that. We have 25 productions up and running right now around the world. We're sharing some of those COVID costs with our uh, broadcasters or others who have um, sponsored or paying for the shows. So there are some shared costs. That's why Deb said we've got to look at where the shared costs are and the ultimate costs. But the, the, the big picture answer is that uh, we see the opportunity to not only go back to where E1 was uh, in the recent history, but to grow beyond that over time and to drive uh, a full range of Hasbro IP, uh, both vault IP as well as in-market IP uh, to audiences and to consumers around the world. Great. Uh, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Deb. And John, I'll echo others' comments on the call that uh, it was a pleasure working with you and learning from you. Best of luck. Our next question is from the line of Devin Briscoe with Bank of America. Please proceed with your question. Hi, thank you for taking my question. Uh, I just have a couple on e-commerce. Uh, do you still expect e-com to be about 30% or more of sales for the full year? And is the proportion of your sales mix that came from e-com in the quarter in line with that expectation? And could you just walk through e-commerce POS trends uh, by category or, or your major brands? Sure. Um, you know, we do expect e-com to probably be about a third of our total global sales by the end of the year. We mentioned that e-com sales in the quarter had grown by 50%, so clearly continued to track forward. And also, uh, we saw more store reopenings, which, you know, balances that at uh, e-com sales as a percent of total sales. But e-com growth uh, in the U.S. Uh, in the third quarter was 35%. Uh, Year-to-date, it's been 65%. Our franchise brands were up 34%. Partner brands were up 54%. Emerging brands were up 79%. You know, uh, specific brands like Monopoly were up 31%. Plato, 56%. And Nerf was up 16%. Um, so anyway, you, you just see that, you know, strength to strength, that we have a lot of uh, growth in this category, recognizing that it's a uh, on track to be about a third of our business for the full year. Okay, thank you. And the gap between POS trends relative to shipments meaningfully improved from the second quarter, but was still a headwind. Is this delta something that we should expect to continue to improve 
particularly as you catch up on some demand in the games category? Yeah, I think that, you know, our goal overall, we said, was as the point as we ended uh, uh, the third quarter, we expected to be run rate uh, catching up. You know, the demand in certain categories is still outstripping supply um, to some extent. That's why we made some of the comments on the call. But um, uh, some of our new gaming initiatives and uh, games category are, are quite popular. Uh, some of our new products in there are very popular. But overall, I would say we should have demand much more in line with supply uh, in Q4. And that's what we said we expect a good holiday. Yeah, but I don't really have a comment. Really. You know, and I think, I think the only thing I, I would just add is we continue to watch um, kind of what's happening with some of our manufacturers around the world, especially in places like India. Um, you know, some markets, we're not worried. Um, we have essential uh, supplier status. You know, first and foremost, we, we are concerned about our employees' health, and that includes our third-party manufacturing employees' health as well. So we want to be cognizant of that. But, you know, to the extent we have some shutdowns around the world, we may still be catching up, um, you know, come Q1. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Gary Johnson with BMO Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Thank you. Uh, good morning, and uh, also congratulations to John, uh, the nicest guy in the toy business. Hey, um, so where you're chasing, it sounds like uh, games and their Finoza factories that ramped up a little bit late. How much better could your uh, overall uh, sales and revenues have been in a quarter if you shipped what you wanted to have shipped? And related to that also, is, is there, are there any other distribution issues we should know about other than just uh, – factories starting up late? How are your warehouses and the rest of the uh, distribution channel supply chain? Yeah, look, um, uh, clearly we've seen where games has been uh, year to date and uh, in the third quarter clearly we grew, uh, but less so. Uh, the POS trends that we're now seeing in Q4 um, are indicative of the fact that we've been catching up on supply. Uh, and uh, the team has done a great job uh, Deb mentioned that uh, you know Ireland is going through a six-week shutdown, but our Irish factory has a, achieved essential status and it continues to produce. Uh, and we've, we've done that around the world to try to help protect our business um, and uh, to finish out the year very positively. Uh, look, uh, in Q4, we're, we're shipping a lot of new initiatives, and uh, we are uh, continuing to watch certain areas like India, but... Um, we're seeing the products come in, and uh, and we're seeing the, the strong demand. I don't know, Deb, if you want to comment further on. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I think our our teams have worked so hard to put really good protocols in place to make sure within our warehouses and our third party manufacturing that our employees are safe and they can come to work. Um, so first and foremost, you know, I got to give a big shout out to all of our warehouse employees that have just been tremendous through all this and have been so responsible and how, how they're doing business right now. So it's really, it's, they've been just really terrific. Um, but, you know, we do continue to watch. There's certain states that we manufacture and particularly in India, I think that, you know, give us some level of concern, but overall really, um, you know, we are catching up on demand. Okay. Um, and then on Magic, can you just give us what the split is right now between digital and physical? You don't have to give us an absolute dollar number, but you know, percent split, 50-50, 60-40. What's the split between the two that's contributing right now? Well, I think, I think we continue to see, um, you know, the analog business, of course, is, is been around a lot longer than the digital business. So as you'd expect, that's probably a larger size. But the interesting thing, Dark, we continue to see when we launch things on Arena, um, as well as what we're building for the future on the digital side of the business and on the mobile space, you know, it's giving a lift to the, to the um, analog business as well. So the overall, the, um, you know, the releases have just been so well received. And as we release more on digital, it is giving that lift to analog, but analog is the larger piece. So. The larger. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Our final question today comes from the line of Jim Chartier with Mones Crespi. Please receive with your question. Hi, thanks for fitting me in. Um, just a quick question. 
So I wonder if you could let us know, you know how much of E1 revenue historically is tied to the movie box office and live music events. Sure. Um, well, the, the first thing is E1 has been very facile in moving movies over, the t over time from theatrical to stream movies where they get paid and make a margin. And so I, I'm not concerned in the short term that E1's movies are, um, won't benefit from exhibition and uh, we can't sell them uh, as everyone is looking for, increasingly is looking for uh, content. Um, uh, the music business um, has performed well, has held up well, um, and it's a, a smaller piece of the total uh, E1 business. Deb, I don't know if you want to comment further. Yeah, I was just I was just looking. It's um, you know, it is a smaller piece of the business, but it's a piece of the business that definitely has been impacted by the inability to do touring and you know, with some of the recording acts as well as um, the the sync revenues and advertising have been impacted as well. But it is a smaller piece of the business. Great, that's helpful. Thanks. Best of luck in fourth quarter. Thank you. Thank you. We've reached the end of the question and answer session. I'll now turn the call over to Debbie Hancock for closing comments. Thank you for joining the call today. The replay will be available on our website in approximately two hours. Additionally, management prepared remarks will be posted on our website following this call. Thank you. Thank you. This, con this will conclude today's conference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation. <laughs>